So good to see you. We all stand with me as we get into the Word of God today, as we continue our series on stuck. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 2. And I want you to really pay attention to these words in the Bible. Because God says here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey His commands. Yes, He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and the hills. I want to preach to you on this morning as we go into our series on stuck. Today's title is titled, Stuck on Purpose. Let's pray. Father, Bless this word, I pray, Lord, that you would use me to preach your word today. Help us to understand, speak to individual hearts today, Lord. For this message, Lord, will be a blessing to everyone here, but it's going to be applied differently for everyone. So I pray that you would bless this service and this word in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat. You guys excited for the Word of God today? It's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be, I hope you're that excited after it's all said and done. It's going to be a tough one. But I was reading this passage of Scripture, and the Bible is talking about the Israelites. Now, for those who need to be reminded, the Israelites were God's chosen people. God wanted to use them. God wanted to bless them, prosper them, favor them. God wanted through them to show the whole world what it meant to serve God. So the Israelites were chosen to be God's people, but they were in bondage for 400 years. In fact, for 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were mistreated. They were hurting. They were suffering. They were in distress. Because someone named Pharaoh decided to oppress them. Pharaoh was prideful, Pharaoh was selfish, Pharaoh was downright evil. And I want to ask you this first question. Has there ever been a selfish person in your life that has hurt you? That someone through their selfish action, their selfish choices, they really used and abused you emotionally. They just left you heartbroken. See, the Israelites, because of Pharaoh's evil, selfish, prideful behavior, left them in bondage for over 400 years. 
Not only that, it meant that because it was 400 years, some of those people were just born into slavery. They were just born into bondage. And I thought about not only those people that have suffered under the selfishness of someone else's actions, but I also started thinking about all the people that were just born into an unfair circumstance. Maybe you were born into a childhood that was not very beautiful. Maybe you were born with parents that really could have done a better job. And there are so many people that you did not pick the life that picked you. And you grew up in maybe an abusive home. Maybe you grew up in a home of violence. Maybe you grew up in a home with an absent parent. Maybe you grew up in a circumstance that you think to yourself, why was this chosen for me? You see, some of those people were born into slavery and it had nothing to do with their own choices. It was just how it happened. So as I started thinking about this passage, and how for 400 years, these Israelites, God's chosen people, were in bondage to slavery. I want you to think about this. That means that generation after generation after generation were just stuck in the same mess. They were stuck in the same bondage. Hundreds of years, 100, 200, 300, 400 years of the same bondage is what the Bible calls a generational curse. A generational curse is something that has been passed on to you that has afflicted you because of the choices of your previous ancestors. A generational curse runs down your family. And generational curses are very real even today. A generational curse can just afflict you and affect you just because of a choice your parents made or your grandparents or even your great-grandparents. An example of generational curses, it could be divorce. You've come from divorced parents, therefore when you come from divorced parents, the chances of you getting divorced increase a lot. And when your grandparents were divorced and their grandparents were divorced and divorce just runs in your family, it's really harder for you to maintain a healthy marriage because it's not that you're doomed for failure. It's not that you're destined for divorce, but it means that divorce has been embedded in your mindset. It's so common in your family that it's something that can really be easy for you to choose. Another example of generational curses is alcoholism or addiction. You'll be surprised how many alcoholics, their parents were alcoholics, or their parents' parents were alcoholics. And alcoholism just runs in the family, so you have to be real careful because it can be a lot easier for you to get in bondage to something that has been passed on generationally. Let's talk about emotions. Did you know that some emotions are passed on generationally? Generations of depression can run through your family. Generation of anxiety, generations of suicide. I've seen people that have committed suicide because their father has committed suicide, their grandfather committed suicide. Suicide just runs in their family. It can be depression, it can be anger, 
It's a big one that can run in generational curses. You can grow up in a family filled with anger and rage and abuse and violence. And then you, can, you say to yourself, I can't wait to get out of this house. I can't stand living here. You get married or you go and you move out by yourself. And you'll be surprised that when you get married, you become a more violent person like your father was or your grandfather was or your grandmother was because violence just gets embedded into your generation. It could be jealousy. It could be hatred. It could be lust and lustful thoughts and adultery. All of these things are something that people grow up with in their families. But here's the good news. The Bible says this, generational curses can be broken. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, I want you to read this with me. It says, you must not bow down to them or worship them, talking about idols. For the Lord your God is a jealous God who will tolerate your afflictions. Notice, who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. I lay the sins of the what? Of the parents up to their children. Their entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth, say it with me, generation. That is what a generational curse looks like. It is the sins of your parents. It is the sins of your ancestors that can get passed on, the Bible says, all the way up to the third and even the fourth generation. Now let's do the math. A hundred years in a generation. Third into the fourth generation is 400 years. And the Israelites were in bondage for 400 years. So they are a prime example of what it looks like to be stuck under a generational curse. But here's what's interesting. The fourth generation of those Israelites in bondage, they got tired of it. They got tired of hearing the stories of how my mom and dad was in bondage, my grandma and grandpa was in bondage, and their grandma and grandpa was in bondage, and our family has always been in bondage. We've always suffered. We've always gone through this. We've always gone through difficulties. This is just our family. This is just a part of our family. But the fourth generation of Israelites said, that is enough. This generation said, we're tired of this happening to us. This generation said, I don't want my children living with this. This generation said, I'm going to do something to break free from this. This generation said, I'm going to stop this. This generation said, I'm going to make sure the future generation of my family does not go through the same bondage anymore. And this generation did something interesting. Because I want to just remind you guys, that if there is a generational curse in your family, whether it be addiction, anger, suicide, depression, drug use, whatever it might be, you could be the generation that stops it. You could be the generation that says, it ends with me. You can be the generations that sets the future generation of your family free from the bondage that has kept you and the previous generation bondage. It's a choice. 
What did they do? They did something interesting. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, years passed. The king in Egypt died. The Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They continued to be in their burden of that generational burden and slavery. They cried out for help. Did you hear that? They did not say, we're going to change this. They did not say, we're going to make changes that's going to change the future generation. That's it. That's enough. We're just going to stop this. No. They cried out to God. And I want you to see what the Bible says. They cried out for help. Because you do not have the strength to break generational curses without the Lord's help in your life. And they cried out for help. And their cry rose up to God. Did you notice that the minute they cried out to God, God heard them. The first generation did not cry out to God. The second or the third did not cry out to God. They settled for it. They got comfortable with it. But the fourth generation said, we're tired of this. And they cried out before God for help. And maybe this morning, there is a burden and a bondage on your life that's a part of your family that only God can break. And God says, if you would cry out to me, if you would seek me, I can set you free. God heard their groaning. He remembered the covenant of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel just like God looks down on us. He looks down at you. And he knew it was time to act. The minute God heard the cry of his children, not only does God hear you, God says it's time to act. It's time to set you free from this bondage that has plagued not only you, but the family before you. It's time to act and stop this from being passed on to the future generation of your family. It's time. When I read that, it convicted my heart because they cried out to God. And a lot of times we get excited about this passage. Because I wonder... I want you to think about this box right now. And it represents all the problems in your life. Are you seeing it with me? In this box, there's people that are making your life miserable. In this box, there's financial burden, emotional, unhealthy 
thoughts. In in this box, there's anger, there's rage, depression. In this thought, in this box, there's there's thoughts of suicide. In this box, there's hopelessness. In this box, there's all of these problems. You guys see it? And this is what we do with God. This is what we preach in the church. This is all we sing about. Lord, I want you to get me out. I want you to get me out of all of these problems. How many of you, by a show of hands, want God right now to take you out of certain situations? Take you out of certain problems? See, all of us pray this like the Israelites. Lord, we want out of this bondage. We want out of these problems. We want out of this affliction. We want out. And the Bible says that God was ready to get them out. God was prepared to get them out. God even said, it's time to act. I want to bring you out of this mess. And I want to bring you into the promised land. And this is how God works. See, before God can put you in His promises, His favor, His blessing, He needs to get you out of some certain things in your life. And we pray this all the time, Lord, get me out, and Lord, I want to live in Your promises. I want to live in Your blessing. I want to live inside Your favor, because this box now, it represents the promises of God. This box is where you want to be. This box is where you have peace. This is the box where you have joy. This is the box where you're living in God's favor, God's best. This is the box where God is just showing you His plan, His purpose. This is the box all believers want to be in, not this one. And this is what God said. I want to get you out of Egypt. I want to get you out of bondage. I want to get you out of this generational curse in your life. I want to put you in the promises of God. And we get excited for this. Because we think that it's just a prayer. Lord, get me out. And God says, okay, here you go. And if God acted like this, there would be no room in this church. Churches across America would be filled to capacity because imagine you serve a God that says the second you pray that you want something out of your life, I'm going to stab my holy fingers and get you right out. And a lot of people would say, sign me up for that. But I want you to pick something up here. We get excited about God getting us out of problems and out of circumstances and we get excited about the deliverance of God. We get excited for freedom. This is a lot of what the church focuses on. And we focus a lot on the promises of God. Think about this. How many of you listen to worship music? Good. I want you to do something for me this week as you're singing along. Did you notice that in every worship song, every worship song, even in this church, every worship song talks about two things, just two. It talks about how God can get you out, freedom, He'll set you free, chains are broken, Deliverance. What else do 
does the worship music focus on? His promises. His promises never fail. The Lord has a plan. The Lord has greater things for your life. Greater things are yet to come. How great is our God? He's going to get you out. He's going to bring you in. There's going to be deliverance. You're going to live in His promises. And this is all the church and all the music and all the entertainment and everything that people focus on. Am I right? But there's one thing we fail to sing about. There's one thing we fail to focus on. There's one thing that God says, yes, I can get you out. I can bring you in. I can deliver. You can live in my promises. But there's one thing I've never heard a song about. His process. It's like a bridge. Build a bridge here. And God says, I can get you out and you can live in my promises. But before it happens, you got to go through the process. Can we sing a worship song about process? Lord, I love your process. Thank you, Lord, for the process. We don't sing about it. We don't get excited about it. You see, even the Israelites, when they got out of Egypt, thinking about going into the promised land, what did they do? They worshipped. They praised. One of them busted out the tambourine and started shaking it, and they all got excited. Why? Because we always focus on the out and the in, but never the in-between. We always focus on God setting us out of problems, delivering us from problems, and walking in His best, walking in His favor, walking in His promises. But God says there's a vital thing that must take place before you can walk in my blessings. You have to go through the process. And do you know that even in our church, the 12 years of four fellowship, you want to know where we're at as a church? We are right here. Because we are not the same people we were 12 years ago. But it happened through process. God's going to put you in what I call the in-between season. The in-between is where you are right smack in the middle. Where God has delivered you, He has gotten you out, but you're not in Exactly his promises. He has you between a rock and a hard place. He has you in the in-between. It's a process. We don't like it. But it's necessary. The process is one of the hardest seasons for any believer to go through. The process is one of the most heartbreaking for a church to go through. The process is, might not be enjoyable, but the process is where God begins to prepare you for His promises. 
is where God begins to prepare your heart for what He has. Even Jesus Himself had to learn this. Because Jesus was just 12 years old when you found Him inside the synagogue. Learning. Hearing the people teach and actually teaching Himself. And His mother had to drag him away and pull him out and say, Why? What, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And he says, I must be about my father's business. Who talks like that at 12 years old? But you know what? Jesus knew his father's promises. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew the reason he was created for. But see, what Jesus did not understand at the moment was that the Bible says he needed to grow in wisdom. And knowledge. He needed to grow. Say that with me. He needed to grow. And we don't hear anything from that time for 18 years. The in-between is where God is silent most times. The in-between is when God's not showing you anything. The in-between is when God is allowing circumstances that are hard, unfair, and even painful. The in-between is where you feel God's not even hearing your prayers. God's not doing anything about what you're going through. The in-between is one of the hardest seasons for any believer to go through. Because in our mindset, we want to get out and we want to get in. That's it. Lord, get me out of my problems. Get me into your blessings. But God does not work like that. I hate to break your heart, but God does not work. He is not just about getting you out and in. He's about preparing you for what He wants to get you into. It's a preparation. But we don't like it. But in verse 2, here's what's ironically crazy and unfair, to me at least. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness? See, the Israelites missed it. Uh Uh-oh, God did take them out of Egypt. God was bringing them into the promised land. But between... Egypt and the promised land was the wilderness. And the wilderness was the experience they needed to strengthen their faith to handle what was going to happen in the promised land. It was preparation. It was process. But the Israelites failed because they could not survive the process. Did you know that this process would only take 11 days? But it actually cost them to live there for 40 years. Because God kept saying, you're not ready. Every time they complained, you're not ready. Every time they questioned God, you're not ready. Every time they blew up and got angry, God said, ah, you're not ready. Just when they were about to go and they just lost faith in God, God said, ah, you're not ready. Put you back there. God led them through a wilderness. The in-between. Just like He will you. It's difficult. 
It's lonely. It's frightening. It's painful. But in verse 2, God said, you led us through the wilderness. See, the bad news is, God's not just going to get you out and put you in to the promises. You have to go through a wilderness experience. The good news is that God said, you're going to get through it. See, process was always to be temporary. It was never to last a lifetime. And maybe you're the in-between right now. You're in the in-between. You don't know where God is taking you, where God is leading you, why you're not living in His best, why are you not living in His promises, why, Lord, I saw it in my mind, I envisioned it, I dreamt about it, and you put it in my heart, but I'm not there yet. And God says, because I'm working in you. It's a process. And you'll get through it. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, how long? How long? Can I tell you that it's in the in-between season that people get stuck the most? It's in between these seasons that people give up. This is where people complain the most, get angry the most. This is where discouragement really controls them. It's in the in-between season that you begin to doubt. And even though it's a difficult season, there's no denying that, you have to remember it's not forever. It's just a temporary thing you're going to get through. But again, you still might be saying, Pastor, I, I get that, but how long? Because maybe you feel stuck in your life. But maybe God got you there on purpose. Maybe you're stuck where you're at because God is using that place that you're stuck in to develop you on the inside before He can bring you into what He has for you on the outside. But Pastor, how long? I'm tired of being in the in-between. I'm tired of feeling like God has just abandoned me. I'm tired of God just, just leaving me there. I feel like God has just put me on the shelf. Pastor, I don't feel like God even cares about what's going on in my life. And I used to believe in His promises. I used to get excited for what I thought God would do. But now I look at my life and I just feel stuck and nothing changes and it's always the same thing. I'm in bondage and I'm losing my faith and I'm doubting and I'm discouraged and I don't know what God is doing. Pastor, just tell me how long. I'm going to tell you this morning exactly how long this process takes. I promise you. But before I can tell you when this process will be over, you have to learn why the process has to happen in the first place. Before you can even ask God when, could you get me out of this? A mature believer says, Lord, why have you put me into this? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to change in me? And there are three things the Bible teaches 
that God begins to do when you're in the in-between season. When you're not exactly where you know God has promised you to be. If you feel stuck like you're in the in-between, I promise you, God is doing one of three things, or maybe all three. Let's learn this morning. You guys ready? Verse 2. Verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness. That's process. For these 40 years, humbling you, testing you to prove your character. Character is one reason God puts you through the wilderness. He said, I put you through this to humble you. Humility is a character trait. See, before God can put you in His promises, He has to work in your character. You say, well, Pastor, what is character? Character is who you are. But see, but God, well, you might have a bad character. You might have an evil character. What is God trying to do? He's trying to develop in you godly character. Why is this so significant? Because if you have the wrong character, let's say you have anger, rage, selfishness, pride, and that's in you. And then you put it into the promises of God. You're going to hinder and mess up everything God has for your life. Because your attitude can mess up what God has. Your attitude can mess up the blessings of God. Your character can make or break you. And before God can put you into His promises, He has to break certain character traits out of you. So, well, Pastor, how does God do this? It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4. And this is what it says. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops the strength of what? Character. And character strengthens our confidence and hope in our salvation. I want you to notice that God says that one of the ways I work on your character is problems and trials. And it may not be what you want, but it's what you need to, be de to develop character. Character is not grown in the church. You can learn about it. You can have knowledge of it. You can memorize scripture about character. But you can walk out of this church and still have no character. Character is not something you pray for. And if you do pray for it, God will answer that prayer by allowing you to go through problems and trials. So some of the problems you're just telling God to get you out of 
can actually bless you because it's working for your character and in preparing you for the promises of God. What's interesting about what Romans said is that God says, I bring problems and trials to develop your character. That word character, remember, the New Testament was written in the original language of Greek. And that word character in the Greek is a word karakte. But the root word of the word karakte is karak. You know what karak literally means in Greek? Chisel. A chisel. So you know what God says? When you're in the in-between, I'm actually chiseling away at you. And the reason you chisel is to break things out that are a waste, that are unnecessary. Behind every beautiful sculpture was someone chiseling the unnecessary, the wasteful, breaking at you. Does this look fun? When God does this in your life, do you say, yes, Lord, hallelujah? But God says, no, I did, I put you through that because this anger needs to go out. And you're saying, well, God, I, I want you to help me with my character. God says, yeah? Really? Yeah, God, I want more godly character. Lord, I want to be patient. I want to be more loving, more compassionate, more humble. I really want to work on my character. God, would you help me? Yeah, I'm going to make sure I put the most annoying person in your life to work with you. And they're going to just annoy you. I'm going to make sure I do something in your life that's going to tempt you to get angry. But it's what's going to help you get that anger out. And I'm, I'm going to make sure, I, you know, it's hard to say, but I'm going to make sure you go through cancer. Because that might humble you more and appreciate life. Because you've been ungrateful. I, I'm really going to make sure I work on your character. And God begins to chisel in order to bring out what He has for you. It might be a job you don't like, an unexpected problem, a person you hate. None of us like problems. None of us like trials. But God says those trials and problems chisel and break away the character that doesn't belong for the promises that I have for you. Because the wrong character will mess up the promises of God. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Lord, I, I want to get married. I want to get out of singleness. And I know you've promised me a husband or you've promised me a wife. And God says, I do, but have you seen your character? And if I bring you 
that husband or wife into your life, with that character you have, you're just going to end up divorced. You're just going to make her or him miserable. You're just going to grow up and raise a family of strife. So before I can even bring that to your life, I need to work on your character. But Lord, I really want that promotion. And God says, I, I have that promotion for you, and I want to get you out of where you're at. But before I can bring you in, I have to chisel you. See, that's why God led them through the wilderness. To humble them. To chisel the wrong character out of them. Another thing that God does in character is not only do the problems and trials develop you in character. See, there, there's, a, there's a saying that I grew up with my parents telling me. Every time there was a setback, a problem, something horrific, you know what my parents would say? The Lord's building, what mom? Character. The Lord is building character. But that's hard to listen to when your heart is broken, when you're angry. But what if it was true? What if God would tell you you're at where you're at because I'm building you for who you're going to be? And I'm building your character. Not only do problems and trials chisel you into godly character, but problems and trials reveal the character that's inside you. It's easy to have godly character in church. It's easy to sit here and raise your hands and worship and listen to the sermons and say amen and have a smile. It's easy, but the real test of character is just outside these walls. Maybe the parking lot. Driving back home. Getting home. Monday morning. Work, family, kids, problems, stress, trials. That's where your real character comes out. See, your character is who you are when no one's watching. That's when the real character comes out. You know when your character is going to come out? When you're doing your taxes and you know you can lie to get more money. That's when character comes out. You know when character comes out? When you're by yourself with a computer or your phone and you have these lustful thoughts and you give in to pornographic material, you know your character came out. Your character comes out because you go and you gather with some friends and you begin to slander and you're gossiping about friends and family members and church members and you're doing what you're doing because you think no one is watching. Your character is with you when you drive and you lash out at someone and stick the finger out and say a few things that you know are not pleasing to God's ears, but you do so because the minute you get enraged, your character comes out. Your character comes out when your children don't listen. 
Your character comes out when your spouse doesn't act the way you want them to act. Your character will always come out in trials and problems. Especially when no one is watching. And I thought about Joseph. Joseph was someone that was sold into slavery. In the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And one day he was in the palace working and Potiphar, his boss's wife, continued for days to seduce him. This is that woman at work that's flirting with you, guys. The one that's just wearing that little skirt you like. The one that tells you, come on, let's go out for a coffee. Let's go out for lunch. The one that tries to find out what's going on at your home. Finding out things that she shouldn't. This is what Potiphar's wife was doing every day. And the day came that he found himself alone with her. And she said, come on. Come to bed with me. No one will know. And character would be tested. No one's going to know. And Joseph said, how can I do this? Against God. You're right, no one will know. But God will. That's character. And he ran. Joseph in character ran from her. Now David, the spiritual, holy man after God's own heart, when he was alone, he gave in and did not run. And character revealed itself. David, you have a lust problem. And in Psalm 51, David bowed down and repented before God because when your true character is revealed in trials and problems, it's not God punishing you. It's not God pointing the finger at you, saying, look at you, you're such a hypocrite, you're horrible. No, God reveals it to you so that you would run back to God and correct it and get under repentance and submission to the Lord. God will chisel you through trials and problems. God will allow you to go into an in-between. Another reason. Not only does it develop your character, but it's to grow your trust. Look at verse 3. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. Why would God let you go hungry? Why, why would God allow them to starve? Why would God not provide for them? Why would God allow them to go through this? Notice why. He said, I humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. See, God allows you to go through these in-between seasons so that you will grow not only your character, but your trust in Him. See, sometimes God will allow you to go through a problem just so that He can deliver you and you can see His goodness. 
You can see his faithfulness. Some people will never know God as a healer until they get sick. That God is a provider until they begin to become in need. And God allows you to go through circumstances that might, that might seem unfair and, and just plain, just disgusting. God, I don't understand why you would allow us to go through this. And God says in Psalm 103.7, He says, He revealed His character to Moses and His deeds to the people of Israel. God allows you to go through problems and trials to develop your character. And God allows problems and trials to reveal His character. And God has to allow you to go through some of the most difficult trials in your life so you will see just how great He is. God will allow you to go through some of the most impossible circumstances so that you can see that nothing is impossible for God. God will allow sickness. He will allow death. He will allow heartbreak. God will allow the worst of the worst things to happen because it is in those trials you see God at His glory. He reveals His character. His strength. While you're going through weakness. So not only does God put you in the in-between, to chisel away bad character. But he puts you in the in-between to reveal his character. That's why when you're going through circumstances that are beyond your ability to handle, and it has you depressed and discouraged and angry, you can't say, God, why and how, and it's unfair. It's in these moments that you say, okay, either God is chiseling and teaching me something about my character, or he's about to reveal his character. But either way, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Lastly, verse 5. And we'll close with this one. God says, think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. This is where it gets hard. Because remember, the journey was supposed to take 11 days. So for 11 days, God says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of pain. And I'm going to bring you into the promises. But before I do that, I'm going to put you in between. And I'm going to work on your character for these 11 days. So for 11 days, God worked at his character. At their character. And then God said, I'm going to put you through the in-between. Not only to work on these 11 days, I'm going to work at your character. But in these 11 days, I'm going to work and showing you my character. These 11 days are going to prove to you that I'm God. These 11 days are going to show you that I will provide for you. 
These 11 days are going to show you that nothing is impossible. These 11 days are going to reveal to you how much I love you. These 11 days, you're going to feel my presence. For these 11 days, I'm going to put you through some of the hardest circumstances you've ever faced so that you will know that nothing is impossible for me. So you will know that nothing goes beyond my power. So that you will know my character. I am loving. I am merciful. I am strong, mighty, holy. Nothing will stop me from bringing you to my promises. 11 days. Wait, 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 Pastor. Why 40 years? Because they couldn't survive 11 days. It was 11 days of complaining. 11 days of wanting to go back to bondage in Egypt. It was 11 days of asking God why. And Moses, this is unfair. It was 11 days of saying, surely God hates us. It was 11 days of bickering. 11 days of blaming. 11 days of fault finding. And that's why God said, you're not ready. So I'm going to put you here for 40 years. Verse 5. The in-between, God works at our character. God reveals His character. But notice He says, think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Sometimes the in-between is not because of God developing your character. It's not because God wants you to trust Him more. But sometimes you're stuck in the in-between because of your own selfish, foolish choices. You're stuck because it's discipline. You see, while I believe the Lord has a promise for you, the process can also be delayed. And maybe you're not where you should be because your character and your lack of trust in God is keeping you stuck there. God put them there for 40 years because of their own foolish choices and disobedience and rebellion. See, bad character and a lack of trust in God will get you stuck Imagine God saying, you've been stuck here for 40 years, but it should have only taken you 11 days. And maybe you're delaying the promises of God because you're failing the process. And the Lord has you there to discipline you, to correct you. Because some trials and problems, yes, are used by God for character development and for God to reveal His character. But maybe some problems in your life and some trials in your life have nothing to do with God and everything to do with your own choices. And God says, I'm disciplining you because I love you. And I want you to repent. And trust me again. 
but to answer this question. How long is the process? How long is the in-between? It's up to you. It's up to you. Let me prove it to you. Psalm 105.19 Joseph was in the process, had dreams of feeding the world until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's what? Character. Until the time came to fulfill, character was being tested. How long does a person stay in the process? It depends how long they're going to stay with bad character. It's up to you. Let's all stand to our feet. With every head bowed and every eye closed today. What if God this morning is telling you, I have so much more for your life? I want to get you out of so much bondage. But can you trust me in the in-between? Can you trust me when I'm not answering your prayers? Can you trust me when life gets harder, but I'm not telling you why? And God says, can I trust you to have integrity? Can I trust you to have character? Can I trust you when no one's watching? Because I have so much more for your life. And you might be asking, well, Pastor, how long am I going to be here? How long is this going to happen? It's up to you. And maybe right now for the first time, you need to tell the Lord, I'm sorry. I have failed the test of character. I'm angry. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. Lord, my character is ruining the blessings you've given me. In order to see the Lord work in your life, you need to invite the Lord Jesus into your life first and foremost. So I want to lead you in two prayers today. The first one is for anyone here this morning that wants to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. You're saying, Pastor, what does that mean? It means that all of us are sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the Bible also says that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for our sins. See, Jesus did what we couldn't do. He lived the perfect life. So when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Lord sees us in His perfection. It's not about being good. It's not about going to church. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We were all in bondage. And the same way Moses came to set the Israelites free, Jesus came to set us free. And today you have that choice. To admit to God that you're a sinner. And to say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. And to tell Jesus right now, forgive me of my sins. And today, I surrender my life to you and I put all my trust in you. 
And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the promises will come. The promise of eternal life. The promise of not doing this life on earth alone anymore. Because you become his child. And if this is your choice this morning, I invite you for a moment just to put that hand up so I can see you and say, Pastor, this is me. I want to give my life to Jesus one more time. For the first time. God bless you. God bless you and you as well. Here this morning. And before I invite you guys to this altar, because I want to pray for you guys, because I believe this message was powerful for our church, I want to also lead anyone here today that says, Pastor, I am a Christian. I am saved. I know I've been set free. But I'm in the in-between and I don't hear God. I don't see God. I'm going through problems. God has allowed me to go through trials that are breaking me right now. And I admit that I have not had the right character lately. I have been angrier. I have been prideful. I have been lustful. I've been complaining more. And I'm not the person I know I need to be. But the Lord has shown me today that he is chiseling away the waste of my bad character. But I need the Lord to forgive me for the way I've been living. And today, I want to ask the Lord to help me to trust him more as he chips away in my life to get me to his promises. If this is you, I invite you to put that hand up as well. And it takes a lot to admit this. God bless you. God bless you all around the room today. And as we close, I want to ask you to be brave this morning. When all those who raised their hands, even those that raised their hands to receive Christ today, can we give them a round of applause today? That's encouraging. And even all those that are saying, Pastor, I want to work on my character. I want to pray for you, but not from far away. I want to be close to you today. Would you just come forward? Don't be embarrassed. You come forward to this altar. No one's judging you. No one's criticizing you. Come on, you come forward. Don't be shy. Come on, come forward. Come on. whether you're in this altar or not, the Lord still hears your prayers. So I want to lead those right now this morning. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. Just pray this with me from your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Lord, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I believe, Lord, that you died on the cross for those sins of mine. So today, Lord, I surrender to you, asking you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now all of you here today are saying, Lord, I'm saved, but I'm in trouble. My character needs changing. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, pray for your children here that are going through trials beyond their understanding. Trials beyond what they could 
just understand and wonder why, Lord. But I know, Father, that maybe today you're developing character or revealing yours. Or it might be even discipline. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would forgive us of all of our sins. Forgive us for acting out in that character that you are working on right now, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to chisel at our attitude, our anger, our pride, our secret sin. That you would break away what does not belong in the promises you have for us. Give us the strength to endure the in-between, the seasons of silence and heartbreak. Lord, I thank you that in the middle of where we're at, your character will be revealed. And we have the hope of eternal life, Lord. So, Father, we trust you in the name of Jesus. Continue to work in us so that we will be prepared for the promises you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise this morning. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. I hope you guys were blessed by today's service. I want to thank you all for praying with me and for being a part of this, of this message.